Happy Monday, happy Monday, happy Monday, everybody. This is Kira Gladney, the host of Charity Movement Podcast, and I'm so excited for another episode today. Today, we have an amazing person that I'm interviewing. Um, this is a gift today because she's usually behind a camera and not in front of the camera. But little known fact, this woman made it um, encouraging for me to do gentle parenting. She may not know this, <laughs> but she is the trailblazer <laughs> for me uh, making the decision to learn and to educate myself on what gentle parenting is. So without further ado, I want to invite Jasmine Bean to the Charity Movement Podcast. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part. I really, 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 really am so thankful for you doing this. Well, I appreciate being here, being able to speak with you. Um, this is definitely an honor. Um, you are somebody I absolutely look up to spiritually as a wife, as a mother. So I'm very honored to be here. Oh my goodness. Woo, you know, already got me started. Okay. I'm not, I'm not gonna get emotional and I'm not gonna cry this episode. No, not, okay. <laughs> okay, so who is Jasmine Bean? Who is she? Jasmine Bean is um the wife of Terrell Bean, the proud wife of Terrell Bean, um, of 10 years this month, the end of this month. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, I am the mother of three amazing kids, Ava, Terrell, and Peyton. I am a cinematographer um, and assistant camera operator, um, a student of film, a lover of the gospel, um, a proud, proud apostolic um, birth in fire, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, member of Mountaintop International Word Ministry, where my pastor is Donnie D. Falk, um, and our first lady is Michelle Falk. So, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. So, uh, let me just say this: this woman, this being modest, she is one of the best photographers I've <laughs> ever I've ever used. Okay, Ooh. I am so awkward behind a camera. Y'all may not believe me. I am so awkward. Like, do you want me to move? <laughs> like, I am awkward. Like, it's almost embarrassing how awkward I am. And this woman makes it so comfortable for you to be creative. And she is so, like, whatever your vision is, she will go above and beyond to make sure that vision comes to pass. Like, she's just amazing. But we're going to get into that in a minute. <laughs> so, you're welcome. So, how did you get into photography and film and all of that anyway um you know of course i have to begin with only what you do for christ will last Absolutely. and that is the best way to describe how i got into the film world um i had joined mountaintop 10 years ago um in march five days before i got married um i would receive the holy ghost at mountaintop and not soon after my pastor was looking for someone to handle all of our social media and handle um, our filming projects. And at that time I had just, you know, I had done some slideshows and stuff in college um, and undergrad, but I hadn't really dabbled a lot with camera work. And I did a slideshow for our church and I still have that slideshow. I did a slideshow for our church and he immediately made me the media director. Um, wow. yeah. And, you know, anybody that's met my pastor can believe that story, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
but he made me the director of media. And at that time I had not touched the camera, but because that was something that I was doing for God and that service, you know, for my church, I just took it very seriously. So I started doing our live streaming and our video um, content and other churches started asking me to do their content. And then people noticed me at other churches. So they asked me to do outside content and it's just, it's just grown from there. That is amazing. It is. And it's so interesting that you hadn't even really went into doing anything with photography until you at all started at church. That is crazy to me. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I heard through the grapevine that yourself as well as your husband are pro HBCU. So did y'all go to HBCU? We are very pro HBCU. Um, initially, we did undergrad. He did undergrad at FAMU at Florida A&M University. I did undergrad at Payne College in Augusta, Georgia. So we are very pro, you know, um, HBCU. At the time, we weren't mentally in a space. We did not graduate from either HBCU, but it was more so because mentally we weren't in the space to focus. But I think the thing that was most important to us was, and that we emphasized with our kids, is that we were able to see a level of Black excellence that I, you know, growing up in Detroit, especially on the east side of Detroit, we hadn't really experienced in that mass amount. We had seen it in our family and some of the people that we had known at church, but to go to school with people who had parents who, you know, were um, lieutenant governors and people who were legacy, you know, kids whose parents were running Fortune 500 companies and everybody was Black. It was just very, very inspiring to be around um, Black people who were invested in education, you know, and just sort of um, playing against all of the stereotypes that people believe. So yes, we are very pro HBCU. My husband is too. He went to Alcorn State in Mississippi. Yeah, We always compare experiences because I went to two PWIs yeah. for my undergrad and uh, my master's program. And I'm like, man, I missed out. <laughs> it's a difference. I went to a PWI. Just, you know, I just graduated from Full Sail University. Um, so uh, shout out to them. But it is a different experience. Um, but it's, you know, it's the difference between family and you know being around people who are loving and kind but yeah. just you know there's no familial you know um connection there and I think that that's the major difference it's not for everybody and I think that that's okay if that's not for you but I always emphasize that for kids you know to be able to see people who look like them when you see somebody look like you doing something amazing it gives you that motivation motivation and sort of that mirror that you know I can see myself being this that's amazing. So do you already start like teaching your children about HBCUs and or like black excellence and things like that? Oh, yes, absolutely. We embrace, you know, helping our kids understand that, you know, God had a purpose with everything that he, you know, has done. And that includes culturally. We definitely emphasize with them, you know, that while you may face different adversity from being Black, there is so many other glorious things that, you know, are connected to you. There, You are here because someone survived some really horrible things, but that is a play to your strength and not a weakness, you know? So we definitely emphasize now, we talk to them about um, the schools we went to, they visited my alma mater. Um, 
So they get a chance to see, you know, in the flesh what that could look like, you know, being an HBCU grad. We have family members who are HBCU grads. Um, so they get to see firsthand, you know, what their lives could look like taking that path. So that is amazing that you are already um, instilling your children that confidence, you know, that embracing of our culture and the amazing part is not just the spiritual side of being apostolic and loving Jesus but also the cultural side of loving how God made you in a world where a lot of times loving who God made you as is confrontational actually it's so much conflict in that um so that's amazing that they have two strong parents that do that for them so speaking of parenting so Jasmine is, <laughs> Jasmine is so um, influential in terms of how she rears her children. And it's not like she's boisterous about what she does with her children and things like that. But I follow her social media because I, number one, I think she's amazing anyway. But her parenting style is just such like a breath of fresh air. And so I used to see her post all the time about gentle parenting. And I was like, what is, what is that? And the only other person that I've ever heard talk about gentle parenting before, um, her was my my oldest sister, um, who is 13 years older than I am. And so when she started having children, she just parented way different than how our parents raised us. And I was like, man, I want to do that when I start having kids. Like, I want to do that. I want to be that type of parent. And so where did you learn gentle parenting? And were you gentle parented? I, you know, I was not gentle parented. Okay. Um, my mom was a no-nonsense kind of lady. Um, and same, you know, for my dad, um, God rest his soul. But I think the the thing that really sort of clicked for me, I, I didn't know what type of parenting style it was when I first started. Um, I just knew that for me, when I would try spanking and being, you know, very authoritative with my children, that it wasn't necessarily the effect it had on them, but the effect it had on me. Okay. It, it took a lot to, you know, to sort of um, gather myself enough to, you know, spank these kids. And, you know, I found myself, two, three times a day, I'm like, I'm asking you to do something. Every time it's time, you know, to, to heed my instruction. Now I have to resort to this. And I'm like, okay, this isn't even working. I'm doing this, you know, I'm listening to, you know, other family and relatives telling me if they don't do this, you pop them. If they don't do this, you spank them. If they don't do this, you know, you, you whoop them, you know, and it wasn't even working. So I literally talked with my husband. I'm like, it's time to go back to the drawing board. Should we be, you know, hitting these kids if we don't even really know that the result is yielding what we desire, you know, for them? So when I started this journey, I had no clue that it was gentle parenting. But um, as I grew and as I was more intentional with the type of parent that I wanted to be, I started looking up more books and getting more information on the style of parenting that I wanted to choose and how I wanted to rear my children. And then I stumbled across um, gentle or some people call conscious parenting. Okay. So when you have a conflict in your house with your children, I don't know, you told them to do something, they did not do it. How do you address that now in your parenting style? Um, the first thing that we look at, um, my husband and I, is when we're, especially when we're frustrated about things with our kids, is 
Am I frustrated because they've actually done something wrong or am I frustrated because I'm triggered that I knew as a child, if I did this, that would automatically mean, you know, some type of corporal punishment. And most, most of the time when we look at it, it's usually connected to a trigger. And we've just decided that, you know, even today, (laughs) my son, um, he, we wanted to go outside. He didn't want to put a coat on. It was a big thing for him. You know, you guys are forcing me to put a coat on. I don't want to put a coat on. And we had a conversation with him explaining, you know, there are certain things that we ask you to do and you have to take the time to analyze, is this something that my parents are forcing me to do that I'm uncomfortable with? Or is this something that my parents are forcing me to do and it's for the greater good and it's, you know, something that will be beneficial to me? So what we a lot of what we do is encourage our kids to critically think about what decisions they are making. So even when they do certain things or, you know, when they're out with friends, maybe they're constantly thinking, okay, what could be the result of this? What could be, you know, could it be a negative repercussion? Could it be a positive? So constantly encouraging them to critically think about the decisions that they're making. I love that. I And I also think that a part, you know, along with critically thinking, it's causing them to be accountable for their actions at an early age. I love that. I really, really do. Um, So, okay. So how do you deal with um, having conversations with your children, especially as they start getting older um, and you're already frustrated? How do you handle that? Um, there are times where we do, and I have to correct people on this because, you know, a lot of times on social media, you see like these funny videos, like I'm, I'm trying this gentle parenting thing and it's not working, but the, the conversation is always, you know, sort of condescending in the sense that it's not about always keeping calm. It's not about always, you know, talking to your children in a low honey, can you please not hit mommy? Because we don't like that. It's, it's not, it's not that, that is not what it is. <laughs> we get frustrated. We absolutely have moments where we yell at our kids, where, you know, we express that we're angry or upset about something. But I think the most important thing is following through on those emotions, allowing for them to see us. Yes, I'm frustrated about this. This made me angry because this is how I will help. I will watch. I will let you watch me regulate myself. Okay, I'm upset about this. I'm angry about this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a moment to myself or I'm going to breathe for five seconds or I'm going to, you know, step outside or whatever. And we explain to them what's happening as it's happening. And what we've noticed that they do is they sort of just follow our lead. So when they get upset about things, they go, okay, mom, I just need a break. I just need to go to my room. I just need to take a deep breath. I need to calm down. I need a hug. I'm really upset. I I need a hug in this moment. So um, it's not a matter of, you know, whether or not you are or are not frustrated, but it's a matter of allowing when you are frustrated, when you are angry, allowing for your kids to see, you know, yes, mommy is upset about this, what this, you did this thing and it made me angry, but this is how I'm going to deal with it. And they will begin to model that same behavior. That is amazing. That really, it really, really is, especially when, because now with me having a a toddler who is very, very vocal (laughs) about what he wants and what he does not want, what he likes and what he does not like, it always causes me to 
recollect how my childhood was and what would happen if I did certain things or if I said certain things to my mom or my dad and how it was handled. And certain moments I have to sit back and I say, wow, like here, you have, you have learned a lot. Because in a lot of those instances, I would have got whooped. I would have <laughs> got all types of re- <laughs> all types of repercussions. Um, but I, I agree with what you said. With when your children see you resolve your own conflict, they take it as, "Oh, so that's how I do that," or "That's how I de-escalate myself." Um, and I think a lot of times it just takes us being patient with them, yeah. because in reality, they don't our children don't know like they're they're not as old as us they don't know how to you know describe how they're feeling or what they're going through and and that's the one thing that i'm careful to remind parents of constantly like don't be frustrated with your children about the things that they do because a lot of times it isn't intentional we've been here you know 30 some odd years at this point so we've grown to an understanding of these things you can't expect somebody who's been here a year, two years, five years to know what you, you know, to know and understand what you do as an adult. Every single thing is new to them. That's something that I constantly repeat. Everything is new to them. The world, how, you know, emotions, I'm feeling upset. What does that mean? How do I express that? Okay. I don't know how to talk it. I don't know how to express myself yet. So I'm going to lay in this floor and I'm going to kick my feet. So that these people will understand that I am upset, right? Like, you know, but when you really think of it from that perspective, it doesn't feel like an attack as on you as a parent. You go, okay, he's doing this. How do I show him not to do that? How do we redirect that and show him that when you get upset and when you get angry, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry, but the reaction shouldn't be to lay in the floor and, and kick. That's really good. That is good. Okay, so how do we um, that do a different style of parenting? How do we have that conversation with our older relatives that are like, be him, be him, just (laughs) that it gets interesting. It gets interesting. But I think the thing is, is to also be patient. Because the the world of, you know, child rearing, believe it or not, um, is not, these studies are not um, old. These are fairly, fairly new studies. And I mean, like literally early 1980s and when they started to um, research the effects of abuse, neglect, and spanking, um, negative corporal punishment on children. This is when those studies began. When you think about, you know, research and you know this from, you know, having a master's, when you start to dive into research and different things, that's a fairly young, you know, research. You're talking about people who haven't even reached retirement age yet. So you don't really know what the full effects are as of yet, but they just began looking into how these things affect the brain and how these things affect children as they go on into adulthood. So being patient with, you know, our parents and our grandparents generation, because they they did unfortunately face a lot of trauma. They, you know, were very familiar with, you know, a child is to be seen and not heard. And yeah. you know, if you say something that I render as an adult as disrespectful, then I have the right to, you know, spank, hit, whatever it is, you know, I desire to do to you. 
But, you know, we've seen through um, generations that that isn't a tactic that necessarily works. So I think the main thing is, is being conscious of, you know, how we say things and not always being so prepared for the fight. Um, I explained to my sisters, you know, when we have different conversations, it's not necessarily about whether or not you're right. It's about, does it need to be said right now? Is this an argument worth having? And once you realize like, okay, they're learning, like I'm learning, I have to be patient. Sometimes when we have these conversations, it won't be what I desire it to be or end the way I desire it to end. But at least the conversation is being had. Absolutely. And I love what you said a little bit earlier about how a lot of times we have to sit and really think or contemplate is the reason why I'm upset about this because my child has done something wrong or is it because something that they have done has triggered some type of trauma that I've gone through in my own childhood or um, my upbringing that has caused me to react this way. And I, I think that, that's the case a lot of times is that certain things that our children have done it's like man if i only you knew if only you knew it does it's easily like you know and i had my oldest daughter she's very very vocal about you know her opinions and how she feels about things she's she's honestly like me she you know doesn't hold back but in that same token you know i constantly remind myself that you know, with your kids, you face certain traumas throughout childhood. You, you know, experience great things and bad things, but we can't operate as if they understand that history. That's our memories. That's our memory core and our memory base. They have no clue what that is. They have no idea. So when, you know, you're talking about um, well, you you said you said this to me as a parent. How dare you? I can't believe that you would say that. So. Like if I said this to my parents, you know, I would have been knocked across the room. Like, yeah, we understand that, but they don't understand that. That's not something that's an experience for them. So when you know you look at different things and you go, I can't believe they did that. It's not necessarily disrespect and a matter of okay. All right, let me let me think about what we said. <laughs> let me think about what was actually done and not insert my own trauma or my own experiences into what it is they're doing or saying. I I definitely agree. And my husband and I, we always have conversations all the time because my husband's side of his family, all of them are from Mississippi. So they are very Southern. And <laughs> all my family, for the most part, is from the Midwest. And so... We always talk about like, man, when we were younger, if we would have did what Titus does or what Titus says. Mm-hmm. And I always have to be so considerate because I was a child and my siblings will say it as well. I was like the eyeball out. Everybody else was like, well, I can't say this. I was saying everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was asking get- all the questions, <laughs> even if I knew I was going to get in trouble. If I wanted to ask a question, I'm going to ask it, even if I'm about to get a whooping. That's just my personality. And so when I look at my son and he's vocal and he's honest, um, I can't get mad because it's just a reflection of myself. But I know exactly. And I was passionate and I always talk to my husband about this. I was very passionate about going to therapy for those areas in myself that needed to be healed or overcome or whatever the case may be because if my child was going to get any of the parts of me I wanted 
them to get the best parts of me. Yeah. I wanted them to get the parts that were like, you're going to need this later down the road. You're going to need your, you know, you being vocal. You're going to need that growing yeah. up. And um, I think that, that that pushes us as parents to really be accountable for our own selves and our own traumas or memories um, because you don't want to give your child any type of lessons that aren't necessarily for them, but it's kind of like a redirecting for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned is that you were very vulnerable. And I remember seeing a video of you and I'm sure thousands of people talk to you about this video oh. um, where I believe you were at a city council meeting. Oh my gosh. And you were very, you know, vocal and very opinionated. And I, but I remember like literally watching that video and getting chills and going, this is what I need for my kids to have. Because the thing is, we have to teach, we teaching our children advocacy begins from the very beginning stages of their lives. And it's very hard to teach a child advocacy when they live in a home where they're constantly being stifled. And I think a lot of times what parents see as, you know, well, I'm the authority figure here, you know, I'm in charge here, blah, blah, blah. You, you think that that is uh, protection for your children. You believe that that's the correct way to direct your children. But in reality, what is that fostering? Because we know as adults, all authority figures aren't safe authority figures. Absolutely. We know that there are adults who will take advantage of children based on that power dynamic. So a lot of what, you know, keeps me grounded as far as especially allowing for my kids to advocate for themselves with us is understanding that they will be, you know, unfortunately with the way this world is set up, they will be in situations where they will have to advocate for themselves. And I think when you, when you talk to the broader audience of people within our generation and up, you hear about a lot of sexual trauma. You hear yes. about a lot of physical trauma. You know, you hear about kids who um, are facing mental health problems based on the fact that, you know, they were mentally or physically or sexually abused. And what does that begin with? That begins with an abuse of power. That begins with an authority figure leading them to believe because I am bigger and stronger and smarter than you that I have the right and I have access to your body, whether that be I can hit you whenever I desire or I can touch you whenever I desire or I can say whatever it is I feel to you and you can't do anything about it. And I think once we start to understand the framework of our minds as adults and the things that we hold on from childhood, then we can start to work our way towards, okay, I don't want my kids to be blindly submissive. I don't want my kids to submit to all authority. I do want my kids to critically think, especially, you know, being saved. We don't want children who are saved because we are saved. Absolutely. I want my child to have that experience of God that I had, to have that revelation that um, it's not, I will always need God but I have a desire for him. It's not something that's forced on me. I want God because he's amazing because of the things that he's done for me because of what he has been to me. So, you know, all of that translates into the same types of, you know, rearing your child, teaching them advocacy and how to speak up. 
I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> it's so hilarious that you bring that up. Because I promise I thought I was going to get a whooping that day. Um, I was, I asked, yeah, I asked, been worth it. I asked a reporter, I was like, um, where's this, where's this conversation going? Because I saw all these cameras and I was an eighth grade kid. I'm like, where does, where's all this stuff? Go- I was going on the news. You said what? You said it's going, what, where? Hmm? Yeah. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I got to tell my mom before you put it on the news. So I ran to my mom's car. I was like, hey. Just want you to know they recorded some stuff. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. Right. I just want you to know that I didn't do nothing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, my parents saw it. They were like, oh my gosh. Um, this is essentially what they raised me to do. My dad is very vocal. My mom, they're very vocal. And I I understand now being a mother, not just a mother, but a mother of two boys. Um, in the day that we live in, how important it is for my children to be able to hold their own. Because the reality is we won't always be around for our children to count on us to speak for them. Yeah. And they will, like you said, have to advocate for themselves. And I find it very interesting how, you know, people will say, well, I basically wanting to, in a way, suppress the voice of their children or the opinions of their children in the worldly sense of advocating for themselves, but then you want them to advocate so boisterously for God. Yeah. You can't. And you find so many people in church are not comfortable speaking out about even what they believe because you'll find that in areas of their life, they weren't able to speak out for anything else. And so we have to push our kids to not just be comfortable speaking up about their emotions and their feelings. If we make them comfortable in that sense, in the future, when they meet God for who he yeah. really is, they'll be so empowered to speak up for him. And I look at even Titus. We never like we never tell Titus to get up and, you know, yell or scream in church or do anything. And we'll just find him walking around the house. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be like, what? Where did he he's learn? Modeling behavior. But he's modeling behavior. And he knows that in our house and every person around him that we bring in our village, they value his voice. And I think that's so powerful that you give your children a voice. I love that. (laughs) It gets frustrating sometimes, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That, That is the goal, though. That's the goal. Okay, so what does your daily life schedule look like on a daily basis um oh it's interesting it is interesting i am um currently in an internship for um a uh for a production company so the combination of homeschooling and now incorporating running a business and working is quite interesting but um (laughs) For the most part, we begin our day um, because we homeschool. We do uh, four days on um, the rest of the weekend. So Friday and the weekend off. Um, We only do maybe two to three hour blocks within the day. Um, Nothing um, strenuous because we try to be sure that when they do their work, that they're actually getting the help they need in the area that they need. And then we focus on, you know, the areas that they may be um, weaker in, I mean, stronger in. So we begin our day um, with a few hours of homeschool, um, depending on if I'm working that day or if my husband is working that day. We swap off that schedule. 
Um, I head to a shoot. Uh, sometimes it may be 10 hours. Sometimes it may be five hours. Sometimes it may be 12 hours. Um, I still, you know, do all the media work for my church. So <laughs> um, working Woo! with an amazing team. But, you know, some days that includes, you know, a full Sunday service and um, directing that. Sometimes that includes Bible classes um, or prayer services that we have virtually. So um, the day, our day to day is literally just like it's it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. So. Oh, my goodness. You're amazing. It never sounds like a lot until I say it out loud and somebody else goes, you do all that? And I'm like, is that a lot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we know that over the last few years, it's, it's been really, really hard in some areas, especially with the pandemic and 2020 and things like that. So what has the last two years looked like for you and your family with all of the changes? Um. It's been interesting. I think the biggest change for us, you know, has been being so isolated, but also finding our voice within that isolation. I've, you know, found myself actually um, having more godly friendships in this time, um, especially with the onset um, of the death of my father last year, almost a year. Um, he passed in April of last year. I'm and so sorry. I think the thing that we've learned the most is that um, God fulfills the need. You know, he He fulfills every need and he fulfills the, the needs of, you know, your heart, the sincere needs, not necessarily the wants, but the things that you really need to give you strength. And um, it's been a rough few years, but in that same token, I think while a lot of people were experiencing a lot of pain and devastation, I think the most interesting thing is, is that we've hit a lot of milestones within these last couple of years. Um, my husband has returned to school. I graduated. Um, we purchased our home, purchased a brand new car. Um, my business has grown tremendously. Um, the, our ministry has grown tremendously within the past couple of years. So I, I think the thing is, the years before that were really rough for us, but that isolation from the pandemic sort of skyrocketed us into this thing that it felt like God had been preparing us for. So while everyone else that we saw winning um, had started to sort of see somewhat of a, a slump, we started to see, you know, things go uphill. So, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, boasting on other people not doing well or anything like that. But just a matter of, it's very interesting that when we felt low and we watched others from below, now we sort of feel like it's almost the reverse and God just has us in a very, you know, high space right now. That is a blessing. That is such a blessing. Um, and I, I really love that you even made that point because some people will hear that and say, well, are they saying that they're they're doing good while other people are doing bad. No, they're actually saying that while they were in the trenches, yeah, as at the same time that they were clapping for other people, now God has turned it around to where He has made their ladder greater. I yeah. think that is amazing because <laughs> she and her husband are two of the most supportive people <laughs> we try to be we sure try to be <laughs> and not just in well i'm gonna be there but 
I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to speak life into you. And, you know, it is just a beautiful sight to see when God does make his promises known to his people. Like that is just his words. Nothing to say about it. It's just his word. So that is amazing. Okay, so what do you have going on? Okay, and how can people utilize your services in the midst of your busy schedule? Can you repeat the question? It went out just a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. So how can people get in contact with you? And um, if they want to use your services, how can they do so? Um, they can visit my website, um, Black Pearl, Black Without the K. Pearl, P-E-A-R-L, media.com. Um, I have a list of services on my website. I also have some reels and previous work um, there. Um, I'm not taking on a slew of clients right now because, like I said, I have a hectic schedule. But um, I'm always, always willing to help and assist in any way possible that, you know, people need. So definitely still um, reach out. If I have the time, I absolutely, you know, will make myself available to help with projects, especially I specialize in projects with meaning um, and intentional work. So um, especially for those who are looking to have someone, whether it be through photography or through video, that is help, is willing to help them express um, a certain thing that they're advocating for, um, something that they are trying to build. I absolutely specialize in those kinds of clients. So um, definitely still, you know, reach out because I'm always willing to help. <laughs> that is so amazing. I really appreciate you being a part of this interview. I appreciate it. And I thank you. Well, you are welcome. Um, I do have a few books to um, recommend. I have one next to me. The other one I'm reading, I have no clue where it is, but um, I have one book, Raising Good Humans um, by Hunter Clark Fields. Um, it just talks about um, modeling good behaviors and redirecting your children through um, some of their emotions. And there's another book um, called Spare the Kids, and that particularly deals with um, generational trauma um, as it pertains to Black children and how it is um, we can look at the his historical context of corporal punishment and how we can move towards the future. So those um, two books would be the ones that I would definitely top tier recommend to parents. They've helped me a great deal. Absolutely. And I'll add them to the description box on the YouTube and my audio podcast. And then I'll add your website as well. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to the Charity Movement YouTube channel as well as make sure you're following us with our audio podcast so maybe you can listen to it while you're driving or maybe while you're playing with your children. I appreciate you for listening and remember that the only one stopping you is you. See you soon. Bye.